Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. At Sif Pop, we're your movie friends. And are friends really friends if you don't know them? So grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer and new father, Joe. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, Joe, coming uh, back. Uh, Yo, now finally uh, a couple weeks out of having a kid. Uh, how you hold up, Joe? How's how's fatherhood? Uh, both rewarding and tiring all at the same time. Uh, getting used to it though. Um, but yeah, it's been a great experience so far. Cool. Loved seeing uh, loved seeing the pictures that you posted on Instagram the other day. Really just kind of <laughs> warmed my heart. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, so congratulations again. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we write for SipPop.com. Uh, we provide movie reviews, best ever challenges, all un- other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SipPop.com, to keep up with all that. Uh, but on the show today, we're going to talk about three coming attractions, uh, where we'll give our thoughts on three films coming out this week, and then on to the Sif topic, which will be our comic book films. Uh, we're doing The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and 2. I think this is the first time we're doing like exclusively animated films. So Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, really interesting, really great one to come up. Uh, uh, this is really notable. Um, and then we'll um, do the B-plot, where we're going to fantasy cast uh, The Dark Knight Returns in the existing DCEU, so you are not allowed to replace actors. Although I see in your notes, you're replacing one actor, and I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> um, I'm, you're not going to hear any argument. Um <laughs> You're not going to hear any argument from me on that. But, uh, yeah, uh, and then we'll wrap up with a spinoff, um, and um, that's, that'll be the show, a uh, pretty typical show. Um, but uh, let's, fir- let's first dive into it. Uh, Joe, we're going to go ahead and just skip this intro thing, because uh, um, as, as aforementioned, you um, have a child that you need to take care of. So uh, <laughs> we, people have gotten the chance to hear out all the things, but we aren't going to skip the one random question. I got one question for you before we get going, and that is... Uh, um, if you could be any celebrity, like just take their place, who would it be? Any celebrity. You know, and we'll say you can take your family with, you know, because. Uh, I'd probably say, I mean, this is probably pretty transparent as far as I go. Uh, I'd say Chris Evans. I think he's he's a wonderful person. I think he has a splendid career, very like mm-hmm. kind of like colorful career uh, throughout the years. And you got to play one of the most iconic characters in comic books, uh, Captain America. It's true. Uh, and his work has only gotten better throughout the years. Um, yeah, I love him in Knives Out. I think that that was a terrific role for him. Um, but but overall, I'd say him. He just seems like a wonderful person. He seems really genuine, um, really funny, but he knows how to turn on the serious notch when he needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say Chris Evans. So we're going to time travel back and put you in before <laughs> he's the Captain America so you can be Captain America, right? Yeah. And I'll have to do the embarrassing scenes that he had to do for a uh, non <laughs> movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, we'll time travel just when he's when he's cast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, it, you're right. It's crazy what a trajectory he has. Because remember when he was like semi-laughffable and then all of a sudden he does like Captain America and Snowpiercer and, yeah. you know, a bunch of other like really incredible roles. And you men- mentioned Knives Out. Like, yeah, 
That's a good one. Uh, my wife asked me this question earlier today. That's that's what made it the random question. Um, I said Jeffrey Bezos, and it's for the reason that um, I think Jeffrey Bezos has a lot of wealth and a lot of knowledge for somebody that doesn't do anything to help out other people for the most part. <laughs> um, so like, I try to take an optimistic spin on that and be like, look, if I had Jeffrey Bezos's wealth um, and power for a day, um, I, I would make some pretty serious implementations of, uh, of policies in Amazon um, to, to make working conditions better, um, as well as I would use unlimited money in the world to try to make the world a better place. So, um, that's a cool it, pick. I like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I was just like, who's somebody that like, cause I was also thinking like, you know, I, I love Bill Hader and I don't want to be Bill Hader cause then I don't get a laugh at Bill Hader, but like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to like pick somebody that then I have to like inherit their talent. Like, I don't want to be like Christopher Nolan and, you know, cause then like I have to make a movie that Christopher Nolan could make or something like that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I just thought like, yeah, we'll just take somebody with a lot of money that doesn't ever have to work if he doesn't want to. Uh, Plus, like, it's only an improvement for you as far as, like, you know, changing personality-wise. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I picked Jeffrey Bezos to, to try to do some good with his unlimited checkbook. Um, as well, you know, do some good in my life, too. Pay off my house and all that. Uh, start paying the Sif Pop writers, you know. We'll do that, too. Uh, anyway, on to the coming attraction. We will... Uh, uh, gosh, we got malignant queen pins and the card counter. Uh, where do we want to start here, Joe? What's the what's the one that you like think that we should start off with? Uh, we can go ahead and start off with the um, uh, queen pins. Okay, we'll start off with queen, queen pins. Um, I, this is a movie coming out this this week, um, and it uh, is a theater exclusive. Um, and so um, the plot synopsis for this film is a pair of housewives create a forty million dollar coupon scam. Joe, uh, we've kind of done a little bit of checking out in this film. What do you think uh, your thoughts are on this movie in terms of the anticipation level? Again, no COVID in the world, no like time constraints, anything like that. Just in terms of anticipation, would you like to go see this movie opening weekend, wait for a matinee, uh, wait to rent it at home, wait until it's on a streaming service you already pay for, or are you just not interested in seeing it? Uh, for anticipation level, I put it as a matinee. Um, it looks enjoyable. Um, I like the two uh, two primaries. Uh, I think uh, Kristen Bell's like, uh, full of energy um mm-hmm. i love her in uh the good place um i think overall the plot seems like it's a lot a lot of fun uh I believe it's based on a true story um those type of films could be a lot of fun if you take a little bit of liberties here and there yep. um so and i like the whole kind of dramedy aspect and also like it's kind of cool with like a little bit of a robin hood story kind of giving mm-hmm. back and like <laughs> mm-hmm. uh you know kind of putting it to the man so um kind of all about that too so yeah i thought i thought, it was, I thought the trailer was really well cut too um it had me interested. Piqued my interest. Yeah, uh, this piqued my interest, but this is in a movie that is really meant for me that I really want to like do a lot, uh, or that I really want to see like a lot. Um, if this was coming to like you know a streaming service day one or something like that, I would maybe be a little bit more interested in like or like a little bit more like yeah, I'll check it out this weekend or something. But yeah, I, that's where I'm going to land is um, on a streaming service that I already pay for. Um, not and that's not necessarily like a negative against this movie. It's just this movie probably was never going to drag me to the movies unless like, you know, I was in college and had some friends that, that wanted to go see a movie that like was looked lighthearted and fun. Cause this does look lighthearted and fun. Uh, you mentioned Kristen Bell being pretty great, especially in the good place. Uh, Kirby Howell Baptiste really kind of stole this, this trailer for me. Um, yeah. It, which is weird because I, it was one of those faces that I'm like, I know you, but I don't know where I know you. She, she's in Barry. Um, that's probably where it was. 
but it looks like they also she also has some history because she was in the Veronica Mars reboot or continuation or whatever. So a little bit of history with uh, Kristen Bell, but she looks she she really stole this trailer for me. Um, it just didn't necessarily like scream like yo some of those trailers that you see that i'm just like i gotta go see that quickly like you know blockers or which i wound up hating blockers but um (laughs) or like uh yeah to me like good boys or some of these like super bad some of these trailers that you see they're like oh i'm really excited for this comedy now and uh this one just didn't quite get it for me but it did look enjoyable so i'll land with streaming it kind of had a book smart vibe to it also um I, i love book smart yeah, uh, but Booksmart's one of those that I I, I didn't like. Um, oh no! I know I'm I, I know I'm the minority here, so there's that. Um, but I, maybe it was because I saw it after everybody said this is so good, and I watched it, and I'm like, this is like okay, it's fine. Um, and there's some things I really don't like about it, but um, maybe so maybe it was just my anticipation was too high. But um, th- to me, this looked almost like yeah, like Booksmart would be a great comparison. This looks like if you kind of took Booksmart and catch me if you can and kind of mashed them together. And that's kind of what you get here. Um, yeah, that's a type of feel to it. I think Vince Vaughn also was a really big standout. Um, I, he's had quite the career, especially recently, um, you know, because he had lots of nothing and then did things like, you know, I think Hacksaw Ridge was part of his turnaround. Um, oh, big time. I love him in that. He's like, perfectly yeah. cast. <laughs> yeah, he's really great in that. And then there's uh, um, he, you're freaky last year. Um, was a was a, two years ago, I guess now. It's a pretty terrific movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, what a career he's had. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, all of the all over the place. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Joel McHale in this apparently. Um, I don't remember seeing him in the trailer. I'm sure he was there. Um, I think he was in there briefly. I did see him briefly, but it didn't like leave a, a large impression on me. We also got um, let's see Stephen Root, who's also in Barry, as well as plenty of other things. Uh, really like him. Mark Evan Jackson, who is Kevin in Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, Jack McBrayer, who plays Jack in Thirty Rock. Um, so like a lot of notable comedy names. Then we have Paul Walter Hauser as well, um, playing a really kind of quirky detective-ish type of guy. Um, it's, it's kind of his shtick. Like he's kind of like that quirky, kind of like unorthodox type of person all the time. Yeah, I mean, this is just like any other role I've seen him in, except for um, Richard Jewell was a pretty different role for him. Um, but yeah, like Cruella and Black Claims him in. Uh, he kind of plays that same character. Super, super Troopers too. Um, I believe he's in Cobra Kai also. Uh, yes, he is. Uh, I haven't okay. seen it, but I'm seeing it on his IMDb. And uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, just kind of plays that character a lot. Um, and like, he's really good at it. He's, uh, yeah, he's really convincing. <laughs> he's character. really good. he's really good at it, and I feel like uh, he reminds me a lot of like Zach Galifianakis when he broke out when, in The Hangover. But like yeah. everybody tried to turn him into a superstar, and it just didn't work. And so he got a bunch of roles that bombed at the box, box office because they realized that that character works best as like a tertiary character or that actor, especially when he's playing just that. Right. <laughs> or he works better in these low budget comedy stuff like that. So I mean, he was. Um, Pretty well cast in uh, I Tanya. He's pretty superb in that. I mean, yeah, it looks exactly that. like the actual, <laughs> the actual person too. Like it really works. Yeah, I haven't heard it. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard great things. Obviously, oh, that's pretty solid. So uh, yeah, I think there's um, gosh, there's there's really interesting things going on here. Just nothing about the trailer really grabbed me. So um, this this looks like one of those that could be kind of a surprise hit, like Bookmart or one of those comedies that everybody forgets about in a month um nothing really pushed me to believe either was going to be true so 
That's why I leaned. So, um, I mean, that's all I got. Do you have anything? Uh, I mean, that's about all I, all I got for it. I mean, like I said, it looks like a lot of fun. I think you hit the nail on the head. This either could be something that's kind of like kind of a cult classic, or just could be like forgotten as soon as you leave the theater. It just you know leaves your memory. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, let's, let's talk about the card counter then. This is another film that's coming out uh, this week uh, exclusively in theaters. Um, the synopsis for this movie is: Redemption is the long game in Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. Told with Schrader's trademark cinematic intensity, the revenge thriller tells the story of an ex-military interrogator turned gambler haunted by the ghosts of his past. Joe, same scale. Where are you going to land on this one? Uh, I got this one at the opening weekend. Um, I thought the entire like kind of vibe and tone of it was like spot on to something that's right up my alley. Um, to me, it had some type of vibes of like Drive, which is kind of funny because Oscar Isaac, that's like the first, time, first movie I ever saw him in was Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast looks great. Um, I noticed the writers, I mean, everything he's written is like immaculate um, from, you know, Taxi Driver to Raging Bull. Like he's done a lot of collaborative stuff with uh, Scorsese. Um, but yeah, it, it looks really fantastic. Uh, Willem Dafoe looks really menacing in it from like the few snippets I saw. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked about it. Yeah, um, you mentioned the the writer who also is directing this movie. Yeah, uh, wrote The Yakuza, Taxi Driver, Rolling Thunder, um, Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ um first reformed i think those are all at least worth mentioning um some of those i really love uh as well as he directed a couple films uh as many credits as he has for writing but like we kind of mentioned he doesn't he did he did a lot of uh he wrote a lot of scorsese's big hits you know with taxi driver and last temptation of christ uh but he did direct uh first reformed which i thought was one of the better movies of 2017 i thought that one really good um so I'll check it out yeah so having like this be his follow-up um, is is definitely worth worth noting. Um, and first reform is not going to be for everybody, by the way. Like it's a it's a it's a deeply um, spiritual um, portrayed by somebody who's Christian, but I think could be just spiritual in general. But as he kind of wrestles with uh, the environment and other aspects of politics, um, so you know, with uh, with how how people tend to tend to work. Anyway, this isn't about reverse perform. This is about uh, the card counter. I'm gonna land in matinee, um, like a pretty excited matinee though. There's uh, Paul Schrader behind the camera uh, and in charge of the screenplay. Definitely has me uh, intrigued. You add Oscar Isaac, who is an A-list actor at this point. Willem Dafoe, who's a Hall of Famer. Um, Tiffany Haddish, who looks like she's been like her career's kind of had an uptick. This looks like a different role for her to take. Um, but like a very welcome different role. Um, and then Ty yeah, Sheridan sure. as well, who um, is hit or miss. Um, but I think he deserves more credit than he gets. I think he's always good in the, the properties of the movies that, that he's in. It's just like, it's kind of like, you know, the quality of the of the movies and you know, projects he takes on. That's, yeah, that's a good way to put that. Um, you know, because he, like, he's not the problem in X-Men Apocalypse. Um, no, <laughs> no, he's not. Or, yeah, or Dark Phoenix, which I don't want to talk about at all. Right, right. <laughs> and he's uh, and he's in Scott's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which is a really, really fun little um, zomcom. Ready Player One is very hit or miss for people. It's very hit for me. I love it. Um, yeah, I really liked it too. Really enjoyed it. He's he's not necessarily the thing that mo- makes that movie great for me though. So yeah, um, yeah, and uh, I guess he's one of those people that I think I just he's just in more than he actually is. But <laughs> um, but you know he's got a couple X Men movies under his belt. Um, so for sure, um, that's, uh, there's a lot kind of work in there. I just, something about it, just, maybe it's just poker movies, right? What's the best poker movie that there is? Uh, it's funny. Cause like, uh, I actually just 
chose uh rounders for the next writing topic mm-hmm. i think rounders is like pretty high up there um, as far as poker movies go it's gotta be right yeah um and, and in, like if i want to really get like uh picky i think uh my personal favorite movie that has poker in it would be uh casino royale i would th- i think I oh think yeah any movie but like the poker is not necessarily the best thing in that movie and it's definitely not a movie about poker it just happens to feature poker um so there's there's that um there's that element to it as well i think you're right i think rounders is probably the movie that gets it like the most accurate as well as is the best story that heavily involves it but like a lot of these movies that are about card players just wind up being kind of crummy and like you know we're recording this before the bec is uh is published and we're also this episode is being published before this week's bec so uh which is going to be poker movies um so I guess a little preview there. I don't think this is the first time I've ever done that. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but like I think you get a lot of like 21 in there, like a movie that had so much potential and then kind of sucked a lot. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, I don't know something about this this topic. Just I, I maybe it's just I need to see like a truly great one, um, especially made in the last 20 years before I can kind of go back to being excited about poker movies and the whole like. I like the the ex military interrogator kind of as a as a concept, but I think I just really want this movie to be more about the the relationship that he has in the in the in like the present with card counting and all that. So um, I don't I just any time that it cut back to the flashbacks when he was in the war just seemed like I didn't care about it. Yeah, to me, it wasn't the primary focus of like what I was really kind of zoned in on. Well, and let's hope because like remember when we saw that Spider-Man Homecoming trailer and everybody's like, "Oh my God, Tony Stark's the main character of this movie." Actually, and he was in the movie for like seven minutes or it was like eighteen minutes or whatever, but he was in it significantly less than anybody thought he was going to be. And like maybe that's maybe that's what we're going to get here too. Whereas like that is pretty much all we need to know. We just saw in the trailer, you know, maybe. So um, yeah, I think. I think this is uh, probably going to be a treat, um, but there is just a little hesitancy on my end, um, and I can't, I can't quite pin it. Yeah, uh, that's it. I'm all out of notes for this one as well. So yeah, yeah, I, th- I think we're good to move on to the next one. But like, cool. yeah, yeah, like I said, it's it, it looks like a, a really terrific film. Uh, it could either be really good or it could be end up being 21. So um, I guess mm-hmm. we'll see. <laughs> yeah, for sure, we will see. Um, and then we got Malignant coming out this week. This is going to be in theaters and on HBO Max for 30 days. Uh, this is a new James Wan horror film. Uh, Malignant, the synopsis for this um, a movie is, uh, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. Uh, Joe, where are you going to land on this one? Same anticipation scale. Uh, yeah, if, if you know me, like... And you know me and like how I feel about horror and especially James Wan. Uh, yeah, this is an opening weekend for me. Um, I won't be watching the theaters because we have all the things we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will be watching this on HBO as soon as I'm able to do so. Um, huge fan of James Wan. Uh, he's pretty mainstream at this point and pretty much sure fire bet for, you know, mass appeal. Um, I don't really care. Uh, I think what he does uh, majority of the time, uh, he's more hit than miss. Um, the trail looked really phenomenal. He's able to take casts that are relatively... Um, they're not like, you know, A-list actors and really make something of it. And if, if anything, kind of bolster the, these actors um, in his films. So I, I'm really excited about it. I thought visually it looked really amazing. I think it has like that really old school kind of horror feel to it. Um, it gave me vibes of uh, Story of Echoes, which um, I'm a pretty big fan of the first film that came out. I've never seen the second one. Um, but yeah, I, I like the whole, the whole tone of it, the whole vibe of it. It looks super dark. 
and uh, very sidious. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really, I'm really digging it. Cool. Uh, I'm happy that you are because I'm not. Um, this would be um, this. I'm going to go not interested in this. Um, and it's not necessarily going to go to say quality of movie. It's just this is not a movie meant for me. Um, I don't. I've been pretty vocal about how I just don't like horror movies. And um, yeah, James Wan is is not the exception to that. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at his filmography right now, and I really love Saw. Saw is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Um, I think it's just incredible. But then he follows up Saw with Dead Silence, which sucks really bad and uh, I, I haven't seen <laughs> the insidious movies good. but uh, but i've heard insidious movies like would be up my alley um and i didn't like either of the two or the first conjuring movie and i didn't seen any of the rest of them because i didn't like the first one and everybody likes it um and i don't like furious seven um although i think he's not the problem with that um and uh we talked about aquaman and i don't like aquaman either so um I definitely want this guy to do well. I think he's got lots of potential. I don't think he's ever the problem with his projects. Um, it's just uh, he he makes movies that aren't always for me. And when he does make a movie like Furious 7 that should be for me or Aquaman, um, it's just backed by really poor writing um, and or performances. So, um, yeah, that's that's. Uh, that's what I feel about it. So this is just this just looks to me kind of. You mentioned it kind of looked like an old school horror film, which to me means that looks like a run of the mill horror film. Um, I'm much more interested in things. You know, like I mentioned, Saw. Um, I really love. I really I like most of the Saw movies, and some of them are downright terrible. But um, <laughs> but I uh, I like um, I really liked The Night House from a couple weeks ago. I thought that was really an incredible film, and um, I like. Um, you know, happy death day to you and dr sleep is one of my favorites of the last decade um so at least like in terms of horror so like i don't know i'm not interested in straight up horror and that's what this is yeah not not interested in this one oh. uh yeah i really like the insidious films all the ones that he's directed um i've liked the mass majority of the conjuring films with the exception of the last one i thought it was kind of poorly written um didn't really enjoy it that much mm-hmm. um but yeah, and I actually do enjoy Aquaman. It's corny Saturday morning fun brought to life. Uh, I think he directed the hell out of it. I, I don't think the writing's the best, but I don't know if that was actually the intention to make it uh, <laughs> that, right. that great of a film um, in that respect. But, uh, but but yeah, yeah, I totally get it. If, if this isn't in your wheelhouse, if you're definitely not in horror films, like this is definitely something to stay away from because this looks like it's leaning so far into it that it's absurd. Yeah, I, I think there's a I think there's kind of been a blurring of horror and thriller recently. Um, and like because I feel like you used to be able to categorize thriller as a separate thing. Something like the game, David Fincher's The Game is um, is definitely a thriller and not yeah, horror. Thriller, yeah. And they make films like that. But I feel like a lot like horror has kind of shifted in the thriller direction. So I feel like we get more horror thriller than we do straight up thriller because straight up th- thrillers have become, you know, just action or action adventure. Um, right. So um, I, I'm I'm really interested in movies that go more that thriller route. Like I said, the 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 Night House, or I think Saw. It's the, the Saw works the best when they're more thrillers than they are um, horror films. Um, like it's, I think Doctor Sleep would would ca- uh, categorize in that as well. But I think Mike Flanagan's just out of this world with storytelling. So um, especially in in like a horror movie, a horror context. Like like, like I love the the Haunting of Hill House. I think that's one of the best things that Netflix has ever put out. Um, so yeah, I, uh, like, it's just not for me. So don't take my word as, oh, this looks like a bad movie. It's just a movie Aaron's not interested in. So those horror <laughs> fans that are listening, like listen to Joe on this one. So, 
Yeah, um, I too am a big Mike Flanagan fan. I think he's one of the, the better writers, if not one of the best writers there are in horror today. He brings yeah. more to the table. There's lots of layers to peel back. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think I think I think Juan is one of the better horror directors out there. Like I said, I just wish he got maybe some. I, I know he does a lot of writing as well, um, but I think he does story, not necessarily screenplay, most of the yeah. time. I think I think he's a better director than he is a writer. That's definitely the case uh, because I think even like that first Saw movie, he had a co-writing credit, but really that's Lee Wanell. And so I think yeah. really when you put James James Wan with Lee Wanell, that's when we get the best stuff. Right. And I think that's the best entry out of all the Saw movies. Probably that one, the last one, are my two favorites. The uh, Jigsaw or Spiral? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. The last one of the actual like... Oh, got it. The end cap of the that trilogy. Like the, the way it wrapped up, it was perfect. The way it kind of like uh, kind of encapsulated the yeah, entire, I mean, entire story. I totally agree. And that's a really unpopular opinion, but I totally agree. Um, I, I really, I liked that one. It, it kind of sucks as a movie, but I think kind of what it needed to do to wrap it up was really, it, it was a nice little end cap. Like you're like, Oh, how did you do all this? You're like, Oh, okay. That makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I think, I think when you pair like Lee Winnell with James Wan, I think that's great. Although Lee Winnell has gone on to do some pretty incredible things like, you know, the invisible man recently. And, uh, still need to see that. I heard it's really good. Yeah, so I, I'd probably be more interested in this movie if if uh, um, there's a different name attached. But there are other names attached. I think this is either a remake of a different movie or just based off a novel. I can't, I didn't look into it, but um, there's some like foreign um, directors having some writing credits on this. So or foreign looking writers' names. Um, what are they? It's also the page. Uh, Ingrid Bisu and Akala Cooper. The uh, poster looks really phenomenal. I really like yeah, the the, the kind poster. Of... Looks great. That gives me definitely like an old school, like original Halloween kind of vibe. Yeah, if I was walking around uh, Blockbuster, if those things still existed, uh, there's like two maybe. Or I think there's like one le- left in the entire world. Um, I would definitely stop and grab this just because of the cover alone. Well, it looks like Ingrid Bisu. Um, she is Romanian, so I was right about that. But she um, actress actually looks like this is her first like film writing credit. But she acted in. The Third Conjuring movie and The Nun, and a bunch of films that I've never heard of, which means they probably weren't American films. So, and uh, Akala Cooper, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, the 100, Luke Cage, Jupiter's Legacy, um, American Jupiter's Horror Legacy. Story. Yeah. <laughs> some like some decent, yeah, some like decent things on on the on their resume, but nothing necessarily like really wanting to grab me. So uh, I'm just, I'm just going to talk myself in circles if you keep letting me. So uh, <laughs> uh, unless you have vi- final thoughts, uh, I'm, I'm good to start moving on to the SIF topic. I mean, yeah, just to, just to reiterate, like I said, I, I like, I like the majority of his, of his work. I haven't seen the, I don't watch a lot of the fast and furious movies. I have no way to speak on that. Uh, but overall, I think he's a really talented director. And I think you're, I think you're right. When he's paired with a good writer, that's when he's at his best. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, let's move on to The Dark Knight Returns. Um, the, we're going to be talking about both parts one and part two. These are animated films that came out in 2012 and 2013, respectively. And um, these are based off of a Frank Miller graphic novel that I have. Um, and we can definitely talk about like the way that it resembles that um, as, we, as we get talking about this. But uh, The Dark Knight Returns, um, part one and part two. Um, let's, Jody, let's just take this as a whole. Um, or, or would you rather split it up into part one and part two? Oh, I mean, we could do either way. It's whatever. Right. Works. Let's, um, all right, let's, let's, let's keep it split up because they chose to release them as two different movies. So the dark Knight returns part one. Did you like it? Love it? Hate it? Dislike it? Or think it's just okay. 
Um, I actually, uh, I mean, a little bit of spoiler into the second one. I love both parts of this. I think it's by far, I wouldn't say by far, but it, it probably inches out a few of my other favorites as far as it being the best adaptation okay. out of all the animated films. Um, it's just so true to the vision uh, of Frank Miller and, uh, and Klaus uh, Jansen's work. Uh, let's throw in Lynn Barley as well. I mean, the beautiful watercolor painting that she does in the comic. Uh, I feel like it's all really captured here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the story, I mean, before this, I mean, Batman, I wouldn't say he was a joke, but he kind of was. Um, he didn't have a whole lot of complexity to him. I mean, we're still, I mean, before this, he still had, you know, he's wearing blue and gray. Um, he, still, he had kind of become a satire of himself. Like we're, we're mean, talking about the comic had released. Yeah. And then Adam, Adam West is still fresh in the, in the mindset. This, this source material came out in the late eighties. Um, this kind of constructed the whole notion of like, this guy is seriously has he's seriously disturbed he has issues like he goes out and he beats up uh you know criminals and poor people (laughs) that's basically what he does and uh he has a whole lot of issues uh so before frank miller really kind of brought that to light i mean he was a pretty um kind of more comical character i would say comical but just just standard kind of superhero stuff um but yeah i think they really really captured that and encapsulate that in the these two films Uh, they showed you how a old downtrodden end of the rope edge of insanity bruce wayne like how he would be in his like you know his 60s like at the end of his road um and trying to come back uh full force to 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 kind of like bring peace to peace quotation marks to uh gotham city um yeah yeah, i think it's really phenomenal it's it's like an a plus film it's s tier in my opinion uh, as far as animated films go yeah, um, all right, I'll go ahead and just give my thoughts then. Um, part one, to me, is a really, really, really high like it. Not quite in the love it. Um, I, think, uh, I think, and we can talk about the parts kind of individually, but I think, uh, I think part one could be trimmed down the slightest bit. Um, I think there's a little bit too much, like, groveling in the, like, wandering, wandering in this world that's gone to hell. Um, like, the, movie, the, the, the film takes a long time to try to set up a Gotham city without Batman. And it's like, I, I don't know that I needed quite that long to do it. Um, and, and I, and I don't necessarily love the mutants as villains. Um, there's not necessarily anything memorable about them or the lead mutants. So like, those are my only two knocks. They're, they're pretty minor knocks, but, um, there's, there's just not necessarily like, you know, um, like iconic, like Harvey Dent is kind of like introduced and like resolved like really quickly. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure I haven't read the comic yet, but I'm sure he has a little bit more depth there because I really love like his arc. Uh, but I he would be the first thing that you would cut from this movie. So I think um, I, yeah, the mutants to me are like kind of the biggest problem, like because they're just not like iconic and they're just not like anybody any group I really care about or th- feel threatened about. Um, and part two, I love really love. Um, so th- that's going to bring me to um, I I love these movies as a whole. Uh, it is not my favorite animated, um, but that's because it's Under the Red Hood. And one day we will talk about Under the Red Hood. Um, but this is a for sure second uh, favorite animated DCU movie. Um, for sure second. So, um, gosh, uh, where do we want to start? What's, uh, um, we'll, we'll, let's, we'll start in part one and let's kind of work our way through the movies um, as much as, as best we can. Well, I, well uh, first of all, I think it was perfect casting to have Peter Weller do the voice in older Batman. Uh, they hit the nail on the head. They gave me something I didn't even know I wanted. I was like, this is a perfect fit. Like you have, you have this like pillar for justice, you know, this guy who played Robocop in the eighties and now yeah. he's playing an older Batman and that, that monotone, very powerful, deep voice. It just works so well for this version of Batman. Like 
It really does. And, like, this is, remember, this is coming out in 2012. So, like, a year before The Dark Knight Rises comes out. Because um, that was 2013. Um, no, it was 2012. Sorry. 2012. Uh, this, so, the part one of this and The Dark Knight Rises came out the same year. Um, and I just remember thinking that, um, uh, you know, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on his name and I feel terrible. Um, Kevin Conroy is like owning Batman at this point because we've got Arkham Knight is about to come out. Arkham City has come out and it's a huge hit and everybody's still playing it. Like it came out, you know, that day. Um, and, uh, and he's been doing a lot of the like Batman animated films as well as a lot of the like anything that needs to voice Batman. Kevin Conroy has been doing and like, I just didn't think that anybody could do it as good as Kevin Conroy does. And to me, Kevin Conroy's voice is by far the best in the Arkham series. Um, he is by far the best version of uh, of a Bruce Wayne that we've seen. And um, he, uh, Peter Weller, like really makes a push for. He needs to be in the conversation when we're talking about the best Batman. Like I know oh, he yeah. doesn't act it, but neither does Kevin Conroy. So yeah, I, I would definitely put him in the conversations. Um... I forgot who the I, I I know what the actor looks like, but the actor that played Batman in the in a couple of films, he, most notably in uh, like you said, Under the Hood, he was he's really terrific as well. Something Green, I can't remember his first name for some reason, um, but he's also really terrific. But, but yeah, there's just yeah, there's there's just something about the quality of his voice and like that coldness that like that you need from that that version of Batman. He just doesn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. He's just like I'm gonna by any means necessary, and he stretches and bends his rules a lot in this film. Which makes a lot of sense, what he's gone through in his entire life. Uh, and he does some things that are just like out of this world, like insane. Like commission, a, you know, Carrie Kelly to be Robin. Uh, in the comic book, she doesn't have any experience at all. Doesn't doesn't even show any type of fighting ability or anything. They kind of spruce this up a little bit in, in this uh, version of it, where she mm-hmm. she's very capable. Um, which is which is a better idea than than the uh, the graphic novel because like she literally only has like a slingshot like there are two things that you know that it did throw me off a little bit because in the amusement park sequence at the beginning or the middle of part two she's like easily like scaling this roller coaster ride like quickly like to the level that like Dick, Dick Grayson wouldn't have done for years into his training and it was just like so it did throw me off a little bit but I was just like I'm watching a comic book movie like an actual animated comic book movie like i'm fine yo whatever yeah so um yeah uh and, and speaking of kind of carrie kelly as um as robin i thought i thought the the voice actor for her was great as well it's ariel winter from uh probably most notably modern family um i thought that was a really great voice casting and um yeah I, I, we could say that about this all across the board mostly all across the board um i, I don't think the guy that played wade williams was great um the guy that played joker was far from the best joker uh but certainly not bad the i, I think voice, he ex- voice of yeah, superman was fine i think he fit this material really well though like this version of like he's kind of doing a wink and a nod like acting like he's so like oh like i'm so hurt and all you know uh you know trying to sneak his way onto the show like very mischievous i i thought i thought he worked that angle really well i mean he's no uh he's no john dimaggio or yeah he's no, or mark hamill or right. mark hamill but i definitely think like third in the conversation as far as animated yeah, this would be like second tier Joker, you know, like there's top tier where you got like, in, in terms of just animated stuff, where you got Mark Hamill and Joe DiMaggio and, or uh, John DiMaggio and you got second tier where you got um, this guy. It's, uh, by the way, another Saw connection. It's Michael Emerson. He plays Zepp in, in the original Saw film. Um, so, 
yeah, another another connection there. It's really interesting casting. Um, in theory, I think it worked out great. Would have worked out great, and I think they definitely wanted something different. You know, you got an older Batman, more gruff Batman. I think they wanted a you know, this is Joker's big big plan, and he doesn't really devise it. Um, like he devises it quickly, but like this isn't something that he's been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. But like this is his ultimate end game, but especially when it comes down to you know at the tunnel of love. So. Um, yeah, so Peter, Peter Weller is, is just terrific in this role. Um, thought it was, it was terrific. And, uh, um, you could definitely tell this, this, these two films influence on, um, the Batman versus Superman, since Snyder says that, that this is the, the comic that he based that film off of, at least in terms of tone and style and all that. And you can, you can tell, and you mentioned like, this is a Batman that's definitely breaking his own rules and is really gritty and gruff and kind of tired. And like, I feel that. And it, it does compromise who Batman is. I really feel like, at least in terms of this movie, again, I haven't read the graphic novel, so I, I trust Frank Miller to to know that he's doing best. But it just feels like Batman's just kind of over it, and he's like, well, whatever. If if it didn't work the first time, then I guess I'll do it their way now. Like, it kind of feels that way to me, where the thought wasn't necessarily put into um, the like Batman and his rule followings. Like, he doesn't blatantly kill people, but he doesn't not kill people. <laughs> Uh, this is pr- this is like extremely faithful to the comic like it's a one-on-one comparison like you're talking about like that's what i had thought you're talking about pacing and stuff like all this almost if you're not on board with the comic and you did like read it prior you'd like like you said you'd be like this seems like a little long window it was like they literally took almost everything and threw the kitchen sink at it like the dialogue um the the amount of screen time that certain characters get like the mutant leader is like a big integral part of kind of like a physical obstacle for Batman. He's not like, he's kind of a caricature and kind of just an obstacle for Batman to get over, but it's kind of showing like the age and like he has to devise, he has to be smarter. He has to devise a plan. He can't use brute force anymore because he's not, he's, you know, he doesn't have that spring in his step anymore. Uh, Well, and and in comparison to the comic, you know, watch if watching this, like in one big, um, uh, I did this time uh, in one big sitting. um, When you have that villain that is, in just thrown into the middle, and he is really an obstacle. Thrown in the middle of the story, um, I don't mind the mutants as much, um, def- or and the lead mutant. I don't, I don't mind them that much. But when it's the big finale to the Dark Knight Returns Part One, and these films came out a year apart, like I just expected more, you know, uh, or expected better. But like, yeah, you're right. This is a villain that works better, kind of tucked in, allows Batman to find his footing, so we can go up against the Joker and the police force and all Superman, you know. Yeah, like his, it's uh, it's really disheartening to see him fight like the mute leader first. Like he gets dismantled. Like he gets completely wrecked the first time he fights him. Like he's in over his head. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because the second time he comes, you know, you don't give Batman prep time. Everybody knows that, especially after after reading the source material when it came out. And then you don't give Batman prep time because he literally devises the perfect plan to slow down the mutant. And that uh, was this was by far my highlight of of part one is. Um is the the fight scene between him and the lead mutant. I know I just I know I've kind of said that I don't think that either of them are really memorable, but it's not the characters that are memorable. It's the way Batman fights because uh, because the lead mutant makes the comment he's like you're slow. He's like, "Well, we're all slow in the mud." And like they're both covered in mud, so like he's effectively slowed the the mutant down as well. And then uh he's like, "What did you like what was that?" And he's like, "It was it was a cut." perfectly placed right above your eyes so you're going to be bleeding in your eyes for the rest of this fight this is like this is this is batman thinking out loud of the ways that he would take down and like i feel like this is something that 
I wish superhero movies did more, or I wish like you know, even looking at like the Rocky movies, uh, or like I guess Creed at this point, like movies that involve fighting. I wish there was a little bit more like understanding like combat as opposed to just people are randomly throwing punches and fists. So that's what part of the reason why I love the raid movie so much is you see them like take anything they have at their disposal and try to use it as a weapon. Sometimes that's even like a roll of paper towels, but you know, when you could see, and, and that's part of the reason too, like, you know, in Iron Man, you see in his helmet, Jarvis guides him or like you shoot missiles here, 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 and here, or, or like, you know, you could kind of see it analyzing fight, fight. Strategy. Like I like that kind of stuff. And I wish, I wish we got something like that here. Um, uh, because you get to, you get to see thought process behind taking. I, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I'm a big fan of like using kind of like fight intellect within your like your fight scenes. Like it's a lot of Hong Kong and a lot of um, like said the raid. They use a lot of like haunt, like fighting intellect, where like you're taking out certain certain body parts and capacitating certain things, uh, and and that, that's perfectly executed here. Like he knots up his deltoid, mm-hmm. like makes his arm incapacitate, you know, incapacitate. Yes. It. and then he taunts him at the end. He's like, "Oh, you thought this was a fight? No, <laughs> this is, son. This is an operating table." Like that was the is, coolest line. He said, like, all the stuff he says, that's all in the comic book. And just to hear Peter Weller say it, and like, it could come off so corny, but with his, like, deep, gruff voice, you're like, oh, this is, like, gives you chills. Um, yeah, that, that fight's super amazing. I love the way, actually, I love the way all the fights look. I think the fights are really well brought to life in this. Um, really well animated. Um, yeah. It's crazy but, how much better animated fights are than live action fights. And I get it's because animators <laughs> can like slow everything down and they don't have, they're not restricted by like, how are we going to put the camera here? Like there's, there's no boundaries for what animation can do. Um, but this is definitely, and that's not to say all animated fight sequences are, are done. Well, I think there's plenty of examples, even recently, like I think I don't think justice league war did it really well at all. Um, I guess that movie's like almost 10 years old now, but, <laughs> um, but like, I, I don't think every movie necessarily does them super well, but this, this does it like, as good as animation gets. Yeah, I, t- I completely agree. Um, let's see. And um, God, I, I didn't really have. Oh, I like. Um, here's, here's I, I I like how there wasn't really any. You could have known what was going on with Batman's um, like parents. You could have known his back, like knowing his backstory. But like, of course, this is an iteration, so they have to show his parents dying at some point. But I like how. It definitely wasn't in your face and you only see like glimpses and like we can piece it together. And so if you are a first time Batman person watching this, you get it. Uh, But if you're not a first time Batman fan watching this, like it doesn't necessarily feel, you know, beaten over your head like, you know, Batman versus Superman does. I'm pretty sure that Batman is probably going to do, you know, Batman Forever does. Um, every animated film ever, uh, even even Batman Begins, like how many times we have to see the Waynes getting <laughs> killed, you know? And Arkham Arkham Asylum does it um, in flashback sequences, but they're long and drawn out. And then Arkham City and Arkham Knight both have like references to it. I think like this was a really good amount of just kind of touching on it to show its importance, but also to um, it, it didn't. I didn't feel beaten over the head with it, so I think this is how you do that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like in small glimpses here and there, completely fine. Uh, like you said, I, I, if I can go, you know, if we get Pattinson's Batman, they don't show his parents dying. That would be terrific. Yeah, just, don't we don't it. need it. Yeah, they could just mention like we don't even we don't need show don't tell. You yeah, know, news, just, newspaper just, just headline. Drop, drop a line. Tenth anniversary of Wayne's death or something like that. Yeah, you know? maybe maybe he's dropping a rose off and you know cry melee and he just you know he just kind of leaves. That, sure. That's totally fine with me. <laughs> yeah, and um, 
gosh, the art style of this movie, you kind of mentioned how like it really, and I've seen, I flipped through the comic book. I just haven't sat down and like really read through it all, which is most of the comics on my shelf, but, um, uh, one day, one day. Um, and, uh, and you mentioned how like it, it is such a, you know, practically one for one comparison, but it's also like the smoothest and the cleanest, uh, while also having definitely a little bit of a grit to it. Um, it's, it's sharp and it's, um, it's, it's smooth in its motion. I think, uh, I think this is top tier, probably the best animation I've ever seen in the DC animated films I've seen. Cause some of them are like fine and some of them are good and some of them are sloppy. And this was really great. Truly, truly a masterpiece. Yeah. They they really captured the art style without compromising any of the animation. Uh, I, th- I think the best comparison would be uh, the Killing Joke. They try to like adhere to a to an art style that's not possible to animate, and it shows. It's really yeah. choppy; doesn't look good. Um, a lot of filler, but this is just like like no, that's spot on. They ripped that out of the page. Yeah. Besides some of the watercolor stuff, they they probably could have added to show Vin Barley's uh, Vin Barley's work that wasn't necessary. Uh, I mean, I would have loved that, but uh, but overall, like the pen, the the ink work, the way the angular sharpness of like the way the, the muscle uh, the musculature is and the body is like, it looks, it looks spot on. Like, I think it's what makes me, it, it, like we talked about, like under the hood, I always go back and forth. Which one do I like better? Like mm-hmm. this or under the hood? It, 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 you know, ask me any day of the week, it might change. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely top tier animation wise. Um, it's always a, as soon as you're like, Oh, do you, what, what, what would you like to watch? Like this movie? I'm like, no, let's watch a dark Knight returns. Like this is a good movie to analyze. And it's just a joy to watch. Yeah. And like, look, it's, I, I brought that point up to, to say that like, this is my second favorite animated Batman film, uh, behind under the red hood, but this is leaps and bounds better than under the red hood in terms of quality. And they're only a couple of years apart. Like this is 2012 versus like probably 2000 and like, eight or nine for under the red hood like they're not a far gap but it is leaps and bounds better yeah and we're, and we're talking about two like in my in my opinion two seminal works as far as batman goes uh under the hood brought us uh you know red hood as jason todd which mm-hmm. they took a character who's like not so liked actually voted to be killed off in the comics and it made him a really like awesome beloved character that people really enjoy uh yeah, nobody would be talking about Jason Todd if it weren't for the Red Hood storyline. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, obviously that's why people voted to kill him. But, uh, I, by the way, I did my fact-checking. Under the Red Hood came out in 2010. So this and part one came out a year apart. And that, to me, is mind-blowing. Um, it's really remarkable because um, there is such a difference in quality. Um, and I, I think this looks better than even, like, the stuff that DC put out. Like, they put out... Uh, the long Halloween part one and two this year and very different art style because they're trying to match the comics, but um, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't compare to this really gorgeous. Yeah. Like the, the amount of effort they put into both part one and part two was just phenomenal. It's always on point. Um, they're always on model. And uh, yeah, I, I don't feel like there's any fluff um, as, as far as like animation goes. Like it's all like, it all reads really well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I don't, Again, these these two movies are really here's here's my one really negative of this, uh, and same with the Long Halloween. I don't I don't see any reason to split these up into two movies. Now I think with the Long Halloween Part One and Two, I think they wanted to kind of let people live in suspense for a little bit, but like nobody's buying those movies that aren't big fans of the comics already. So like 
you're not necessarily suspending unless it's your comic friend showing, you know, their spouse or their other friend that they're trying to get into comics. Like you're not necessarily like giving that. And anybody could just go Wikipedia, you know, who, you know, the ending of the long Halloween part two. Um, so, and because that movie is so mystery oriented, whereas the dark Knight returns is just a story. Um, it really plays a lot better as opposed to the long Halloween trying to hide things. Anyway, point is, I think you could have released the long Halloween as one. It would have been three, about a little bit less than three hour film, but I think there's definitely a half hour out of that. You could have cut and released one really excellent two hour, 15 ish, uh, two thirty film. Um, and these two are both collectively two twenty eight, So they were like one thirteen and one fifteen. Um, and I think, my only thing is I don't get why they chose to release this in two parts other than they hadn't released that long of an animated film yet. Or like it, they don't make the most money off these animated films cause they don't hit theaters. So, but like probably they're pretty cheap to make. So that's why they keep pumping all of them out. It's gotta be that if one person buys, buys a Blu-ray, they made their money back, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I, my one criticism is there is no reason for this to have been released in two parts, even with a two hour and 28 minute runtime. I, I think it was more of a production thing. Like, uh, cause definitely like the, the amount of effort they put in the animation and the, the amount of frames that are, that are placed in here, they probably had to take that, that little bit of time in between, uh, in order to kind of like fix some things or make some adjustments. Uh, yeah. If this was like a live action film, I would be like, why didn't you release it all at once? Um, but, but or since, you just push back the release date. You know, if it was just big production, you know, like not capitalism. The answer is they made twice as much money, actually three times as much money. Yeah. Because after they were both out for a year, they released it as one set. So like the answer is they've made more money. And that's the answer for the long Halloween too, is because they made more money. Um, and the long Halloween has a name recognition itself that even people that aren't, super into comics might be like, Oh, I've heard of that one before. So, um, anyway, I just definitely, I felt that more in the long Halloween, um, because these are very much one film. And when you watch them together, it shows. And the long Halloween part one and two is really one film. And anyway, uh, I just, I know, I know capitalism is the answer. <laughs> it's, it's just mildly frustrating. Uh, uh, and, uh, and a last note for the, for the first part, I guess this will trickle into the second part, but I really like the fact that like, uh, the the gang members or these I mean they're teenagers for the most part they're so lost and malleable that you see them like throughout the story shift to different gangs like they literally cannot think for themselves yeah and it, it even is like till the very end cannot think for themselves and you kind of hope that they're falling in the right camp but you know who knows you know Batman's not the most sane person in the world um, but I mean it's one of those <laughs> it's one of those things that like. The part two opens up where half of them have split from the sons of Batman and they're now like Joker followers. And, you know, they were just mutants, mutant followers and all that. And it's just like, it's one of those, like thinking of films, I talked about this last week with Chris and Ian, but like thinking of films that have the darkest timeline that you don't actually see, like the end of dark Knight rises where Gotham suffers radiation poisoning for the rest of their rest of its life because the nuke wasn't far away. They survived the explosion, but not the radiation. And, um, and we talked, because we were talking about it with hook where whenever you need leave Neverland, um, like you forget all your time in Neverland. So Peter's growth as a character in Neverland would have been forgotten by the time he comes back to earth. So he goes back to being a terrible father. Like how many of the people that Batman is training are gonna, are going to switch, switch sides either before, during, or after their training. 
how many people now know where Batman is training people or Bruce Wayne is training people and is going to go be a rat and go whistleblow to somebody or somebody is going to be trained by Batman and somebody's going to rub him the wrong way or it's somebody like the Joker is going to get the best of him because he's not as mentally fortified as Bruce Wayne and and he's going to be you know the the dark version of Batman that the Joker is trying to be like this this has a dark ending to it, you know potentially because they're so flippy floppy because they're like yeah I think it's the the one that Gordon shoots is like seventeen so yeah um, anyway that's if we choose to look at that at it that way but I'm gonna look at it as it's it's a really perfect ending but if you think about it too much it falls into most yeah. of those other camps it could either be really dark or it could be like really hopeful like fi- they finally found something that's like at least somewhat respectful like they're gonna contribute you know what I mean right. Um, you kind of see the light, um, but, but yeah, like th- that whole aspect is, is really uh, is really entertaining to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so I think I mean that's definitely all there is about part one. Uh, part two, this is this is the interesting thing to me because I feel like part two really feels like two movies because you have the first movie where it's Batman fighting the joke or Batman like finding out what the Joker's plan is and you know finding him, and then the second one is where the government has said you know, you got to go get Bruce. So I feel like in some ways this should really be part one part two and part three part one is the mutants part two is joker and part three is superman and like that would make a great trilogy and a trilogy makes a lot more sense but my guess is because this is such a one-to-one to the comics like that's how it is in the comics there isn't you know they would have to add filler or fluff and they were pretty deliberate about not doing that but uh this this to me feels like two different films but i really love both of them um and i think they work really well together so uh, this isn't like how part one kind of has Harvey Dent kind of tucked in there and maybe five minutes on screen. Um, this is very much like first half Joker, second half Superman. Yeah, it, it very much has like, I feel like overall the the movie is like, can be broken up in like four different parts depending on who he's entangled with or you know, what the what the given storyline is. Uh, I, I think essentially like what I've always saw the Dark Knight is, it, it's a character piece. It's just showing you what Bruce is going through. Mm-hmm. what he's gone through, how far he's kind of like delved down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back. Uh, yeah. I mean, calling a young kid a soldier, you know what I mean? He does care and like love Carrie Kelly, but like he's still essentially using her as a, as a soldier and like putting this kid at harm. Um, but even that relationship is kind of disturbingly kind of heartwarming uh, th- throughout the films. They really do help each other out. Um, but, but yeah, like, essentially him fighting the Joker, trying to stop his plan and then moving on to like, you know, Reagan, <laughs> which right. I think is actually the greatest villain out of everybody in this entire uh, film, to be honest. Um, he's weaponizing Superman. That's pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> and the, the things he says, and like, I love the little slips of the tongue that he has. Like, Oh, you know, he'll say something like totally off color, but he totally means it. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, I was like, that's just not too far removed to how Reagan actually is. And you can kind of see like, Frank Miller always has that kind of like mentality. Like he's very anti-capitalist. He's very left-leaning, and like you can see that in the writing. Uh, Interesting that he's anti-capitalist, but they took one of his works and split it into two. Parts <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, the the Reagan stuff was great, and maybe my favorite part of part two, which probably shouldn't be, is when uh, when they're talking about who's going to answer for Batman, and Reagan's like, "Oh, I think the governor can handle it," and the governor's like, "I trust the mayor," and the mayor's like, "Oh, the DA can do it." It's just yeah. Like, <laughs> It's like, this is, effect, yeah. yeah, this is uh this is the way that we've set up the government. So uh, <laughs> uh actually that's a lie. My favorite part is uh, is the Joker stuff. There's specifically a couple frames that we'll talk about. Uh but um yeah, uh, weaponizing Superman like totally is the right 
like if you have Superman on your side, don't you just do it? But also, it kind of makes the whole Corto Maltese stuff kind of feel like, all right, like there's no real threat because super. Why do we even have a military if we have a Superman? You know, like yeah, um, it, it's it's funny. It has that. Um, it does have that Watchmen feel. Like yeah, we have you know we have Doctor Manhattan. Right? The, war, the war is one. It's you know it's one before it even started. Um, but yeah, like you're like Superman is he's killing people like. He's essentially killing everybody there, um, which I thought was very un Superman like. But, uh, you know, Frank Miller likes to kick Superman in the pants anytime he can. Uh, he's not a huge fan of Superman, uh, kind of despises him a bit. So well, it makes and sense. I think it kind of shows in his dialogue with Batman when they're talking about how when Batman agreed to retire, like Superman chose not to. And so now he's the government's puppet. And so whether he feels right about killing or not, it's this or nothing. And right. at the end of the day, he's saving lives. And you feel like he's just got to have justified that by the time he starts fighting Batman. And, you know, he, you can tell he, he, he goes in. He's like, I'm just following orders. But by the end of it, like, he's like, oh, God, like, I've been a jerk the last 10 years. Yeah. So, it, it's kind of nice that he comes that realization that, like, oh, man, like everything I've been doing is just so wrong. Plus, he's just so apprehensive about stopping Bruce to begin with. It's just like, oh, I just don't want, I don't want to do this. Um, sure. the, the way he's introduced, like him, like dispatching Bruno during that sequence and them not showing his face and it being dark shadow, like it's kind of horrifying. Like he's, <laughs> it's essentially just like, I don't know. He's just terrifying. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's, let's get into to some of the Joker, then, Joker stuff then. Let's start off with the, uh, with the talk show. Um, gosh, all right, look, like. I get that this is a story and it's based off of something, but there's no way they let somebody like the Joker go on national television without restraints, no matter how much they try to like rehabilitize them. And there's no way that people are like clapping and applauding. Like there's gotta be people in the audience booing because like, I don't, and like, again, if we're talking logic issues, like people believe in the Joker, but not in the Batman. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 anyway, like all stuff that I could, could nitpick, but it's just like, this is, this is they they straight up call him the crown prince of crime crime and at one point attribute like six hundred plus deaths to his name. They're just gonna let him go on night primetime TV on what is supposed to be the most popular talk show? Like absolutely not. No, you're not. No. I, I guess anything for ratings, right? I mean, that that's the only thing you can equate it to. It's like the one throwaway thing that you could toss in there and be like, you know, he's he's domesticated at this point, and his his psychologist is like, uh, you know, reputable. Like he could, you know. We could we could trust that he's able to handle this guy. It's like no, nobody can handle the Joker. Well, that's the thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> look, and I get they didn't give him any weapons. You know, he turned a coffee mug into a weapon, uh, which was great line delivery. Um, yeah. The, the oh, I'm glad, to, glad to know I could keep it. You know, glad to know I could keep it. <laughs> um, you know, but the you know that line delivery was great. That that moment was was uh, was really great. But the uh, um, the um, uh, the like they would have restrained him, at least like handcuffs. And I, you know, villains always break out of handcuffs. Like they would have had extra security measures. And you know, it's different. Like when you look at the Joker movie, where it's just some guy who is not yet a murdering psychopath, right? Uh, but you know, it's different for this guy who they call the Crown Prince of Crime, who's killed. Anyway, it's just... <laughs> yeah, they, they they give a laundry list of things that he's like pretty much done. Look, it's, like. It's... It's like what I talk about when I don't like horror movies is because they don't give me protagonists that I want to root for. And in this Dark Knight Returns, I don't want to root for the citizens because they're all stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it is a piece of the commentary that like that Frank Miller puts in, interjects in there too. Like, 
how you guys don't trust Batman. You think he's a fascist, but like you're like he hasn't doesn't have a you know body count or anything. This guy killed six hundred people. Like why do you why do you trust that guy? Well, like, and I do love. <laughs> I, I kind of criticized a little bit how like the leap in logic um, that Batman has from like the one rule I have, the one thing that makes me that, and like he's not even worried about it with Joker, but like he has that line in there. It's just so brilliant where he's like the amount of people I've murdered because I let you live. And it's like, yep. like he, so he, he kind of justifies it as he goes along, but it still just does feel kind of radical. And you could def- definitely tell Frank Miller was just like, nah, screw the formula, you know, screw history. We're just, I'm going to make Batman the way I would make Batman. It's just like, but it comes back to a moral, moral argument that we could talk about for two hours minimum, you know, uh, instead of one of these random regular episodes. And um, I don't think any, you know, we could talk about it and we wouldn't change anybody's opinion. You know, it's just one of those trolley problem kind of situations. Yeah. But I, I think in this, in the, in the original source material, it makes more sense. Like it's in the spur of the moment. He's literally, you know, being stabbed multiple times. He has an opportunity to stop him. He's like, all right, he's, this guy's already rained terror across this entire amusement park. He's killed like several hundred people. He's like, Ugh, I, just, I, I, I gotta do it. And he, and he only half heartedly does it too. He doesn't completely kill him. He cripples right. him. But, like, he all but finishes his job. Um, and I think that makes it even more eerie that, like, Joker's like, I, you know, I, I made you, I made you falter. I made you break. And then he actually just breaks his own neck. Like, it's more horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a weird, like, dark, twisted, perfect end for this character. Um, like, there is no other way for it to end other than him killing himself, framing Batman, killing him. Like, that's the perfect end game, you know? And, uh, you know, it's. Yes, you're right. He, pu- he just pushes him to his edge and gets him to where, um, yeah, just gets him to where he's, um, I don't know, I'm going to talk circles. G- it's perfect. Uh, the Like Joker's plan and Batman it's- Batman finally crippling Batman's thought process on like, look, if I don't kill him now, he's going to kill more. He's going to keep killing and it will never stop. And like, it, Yeah, I don't even know if it was like something he thought about. Like, I've never thought of it like, is like, oh, I, you know, I have to do this because he's just like, it was just spur of the moment, like, Instinct. I think there's a there's a couple I think there's a couple lines that make you think that he he is intending to at least cripple him. Um like a couple lines leading up to that fight where he you know including that one like the amount of people I've murdered by letting you live. Like I think I think there's enough there that I would say that this would be premeditated. Yeah. But he didn't act I mean he crippled him. I'm not trying to justify Batman, you know. Joker killed himself. Batman didn't murder him. But I, I love the delusion too like him. It's either a delusion or a good line where he's just like quit laughing while he's staring at the charred corpse that just like recently like was incinerated while he's trying so, to like trying to shoot that bomb. That's what I mentioned. That is my favorite shot is where you could see just sort of Joker's <laughs> skeletal figure in the fire with a <laughs> with a smile. It's it's brilliant, and that's the kind of artwork that really makes this stand out and uh, the kind of um, symbolism and and um, just it's perfect. Uh, because Joker is causing Batman to just burn, but uh, this this Joker's burning down Batman's life and laughing in the in the aftermath, and it's just oh, I love it, love it so much. Um, yeah, gosh, all this Joker stuff is, is just terrific. Uh, and then you get to the Superman stuff. Yeah, the Superman stuff is like is is fantastic. It, it's exactly what I envisioned it looking like animated. Um, it's probably, I mean, this is is hard to say, but it's probably the best fight scene in the entire entire film. Uh, both parts um just the way it's the way it's like the angles they take the way it's shot um the the flow of animation the way they're fighting each other like it totally makes sense the way they're kind of going at each other and you can see progressively uh clark just like amping it up a little bit each time just like this guy i can't 
I can't put them down just by doing this. I need to, I need to increase what I'm doing. I need to put, you know, push it a little bit farther. I don't want to kill Bruce, but he just won't stop. He's relentless. <laughs> I can't stop him, you know, by just like, you know, you know, flicking my wrist. Like I have to actually put some effort into this. Um, and just all the tactics he implements, like him shutting down the entire electrical grid to, you know, to shock uh, Clark, sound wave gun, just like everything he does. It's just like, plus that armored suit is so iconic. Um, oh yeah. It's one of the best looks for Batman. Um, and I think, I think if there's one thing, great thing to say about BBS, they perfectly replicated that suit. It looks amazing in that, in that yeah. film. I mean, I got the toy behind me. I had, I had to pick that up, but, but yeah, that, that entire confrontation is just like, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful culmination to like a longstanding relationship between like two would be friends, or I guess would say frenemies. Um, it's kind of going at it. Yeah. And you can kind of tell this is finally like they've had tension since Batman was forced to retire. And Batman and Superman have always had tension um, with who is actually in charge of the Justice League and what are their moral standings? and What does the Justice League mean and all that? And um, But you can kind of tell, like, especially when Batman retired and you think Superman thinks all, all is cool and Batman comes back, you can just feel the rising tension between them. And it just kind of culminates into Batman being prepared. But you can also tell, like, he doesn't want to fight Superman because he's Superman. He wants to fight Superman because he's the government that's trying to oppress. But he has that amazing line in there where they're like, if not me, they'll send somebody else. He's like, oh, yeah, who are they going to send besides you? Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's got a point. Like, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, at that point, they've thrown the entire like kitchen sink at him and nothing has worked. So like, right. Yeah, Superman, who, is, your last is, like, Superman yeah. is your last resort. The only reason they sent Superman is because he has a relationship with him. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to lose a bunch of foot soldiers, you know, because of because of Batman. Like, yeah, love love that line delivery from him. Yeah, um, and and just a great ending uh, with the whole like I love how like when Superman can hear Bruce's heart beat again, uh, and you see the shovel sticking out between uh, under the under the trench because it's a slightly windy day, and he just gives him a little wink and goes and like it's just such a brilliant ending uh, to this movie. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Oh, and also we totally completely skipped over Green Arrow. Green Arrow kind of being that balance of like tried to resist a little bit longer than Batman did, and you can kind of see where that got him. Yeah. He still comes back and saves the day in some regard. Like, <laughs> um, gosh, I love where this character goes. Yeah, good old Ollie. It seems it's like it falls perfectly in line of like who he is. Uh, you know, Oliver's always been like a really stubborn person, probably even more so than Batman in some respects. So it would make sense that he would stretch it out. And, you know, it's a great consequence to himself, but yep. he still got it, <laughs> as, we, as, we, uh, as you see in the film. Um, yeah, for sure. If there's one thing I could touch upon, and it's probably one of my favorite shots in the entire movie, because it's so, it captures the moment in the comic so perfectly, when this bald eagle soars down, majestically lands oh on, <laughs> on Superman's arm. You're like, yep, that's Superman. Like, and that's especially, like, what Frank Miller envisioned Superman being, too. Like, the Boy Scout, the All-American, you know, type of, like, superhero. Yeah, I I straight up like my initial reaction was like, oh god, of course. And, but then, but then I was like, oh no, that's the point Miller is trying to say here. That's the point they're trying to to make is he stands for everything that this America is, and you know, bald eagle being the symbol of that, and just like, of course, he's he's got to be like look super tall and proud, but you know, underneath there's something really deeply messed up with that. So um yeah what a great like in retrospect what a great shot and it, it, it kind of in, in the moment i was like oh god this but like five minutes later i was like oh wait no he was doing satire <laughs> like <laughs> yeah big time yeah that's a great great observation <laughs> um yeah uh gosh i don't 
This this isn't an overly complex story. This doesn't necessarily have super memorable villains. Uh, it does have memorable moments. Uh, you know, memorable memorable villains in terms of like this isn't Joker's best arc. It's still the Killing Joke. Um, Harvey Dent still has better arcs than this one because he only gets like five minutes of time. I guess I don't I don't know that the mutants were anywhere else. So I guess I guess you could go there. But the mutants themselves aren't really memorable. Like there's there's not necessarily. I mean, we get the Batman Superman fight, which is you know like probably the most notable time that happens and uh probably was this the first one to like actually have them just straight up brawl like not just you know minor fight every now and then yeah i want to say this was kind of like the initial moment where there was like an actual confrontation taken to this type of level yeah uh, but i i think i think where the story like why why it's so long-standing um it's just what it what it did for batman as far as like making him a darker character Mm-hmm. being more introspective about you know how he how he feels mentally and how this like how essentially he, bruce wayne is like he's off his rocker and bruce wayne is like this the you know the secondary personality of batman when sure. you know batman is who bruce wayne is um and i think this comic really uh, solidifies that and then also like i think the really the thing that also stands out is like it, it shows you a more far more dark interpretation of gotham Mm-hmm. Showing you just you know this kind of dystopian kind of background, um, and I, I think that's where it, it where it thrives. I don't think it thrives solely on their their characters alone. Besides Batman, uh, I think Batman's the biggest kind of character arc or, or you know part of the character piece. Um, but I think the world building is really phenomenal in this. Like, and it really I think those two things really set the tone for Batman stories going forward. This kind of a darker interpretation of both his character and Gotham in, in its in itself. Uh, Sure. So I think that's why this really sticks in my mind, and it's probably one of my favorite Batman comics. Probably this or Hush, uh, which is which is pretty uh, pretty on the nose for a lot of people, but but I don't care. Like they're classics I mean, for a reason because I mean, <laughs> they're good. I'll take Killing Joke, but that's a little more on the nose, you know. Yeah, I mean, kill, yeah, Killing Joke, like a lot of those Long Halloween, you know, all the all the really you know seminal works, right? But they're seminal works for a reason, just because they're just so well written or constructed well. Yeah, uh, so, like, I think I, I brought up that point. Like, this isn't necessarily an overly complex story. Um, so, like, it's not necessarily going to stand out in that regard. It's not necessarily going to stand out in a lot of regards. But um, the, there, the whole is incredible. And the whole is really worth your time. If you, if you like, not uh, haven't, haven't, uh, haven't checked out animated films yet for, for DC, um, I think this is a perfect one to go to so you can kind of see oh, this is why people watch them, because this is how good it can be. Now, I would kind of caveat that with, I think there's enough references to the Jason Todd character that you probably should watch Under the Red Hood first, but also, like, that's a great one, too. So if you kind of back-to-back these three and make it a trilogy, which I, th- I believe the director for this one also directed Under the Red Hood, um, which would make sense. So to me, it's kind of like Under the Red Hood, Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and Part 2, make up a trilogy, because there's so many references, because like especially from Alfred, mentioning jason because that's part of the reason why batman retired and that's why he hasn't had another robin which also like right. he has had other robins jason todd was only the second out of like five main robins plus like that's not including carrie kelly like but you know there's uh um I, th- I think this was written before damian wayne was even a character so oh yeah yeah big time uh yeah, i mean yeah. damian wayne's only been in the kind of like the, the microcosm for like the past maybe like what, five or six years well uh, this probably also would have been written then Probably before Tim Drake, because Stephanie Brown's not really popular. It's uh yeah, before Tim Drake and uh, before they kind of resurrected and brought back uh, Jason Todd as Red Hood, because uh, Red Red Hood was brought back as part of a 
he was brought back in a different form um, than he was in the uh, in the animated film. The animated film goes back in the Lazarus Pit, where uh, Superboy Prime punches you know reality, and hence like some people were brought back, and one of them was Jason Todd. More comic booky stuff. I prefer what they did in the animated film, where he got brought back with the Lazarus Pit. Yeah. But uh, uh, but yeah, it's even before that, so that's why the story makes more sense. Uh, to probably just watch this. You don't, you don't necessarily need to watch Under the Hood for, for this, but who wouldn't want to watch Under the Hood anyways? It's amazing. Right. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I would go with too. I would go with those two, like those three. Like if you're really like looking into getting these and like there's definitely some other ones um, that that are really good. Like Batman Year One's really good. Also Frank yeah. Miller. So it's kind of got some continuity stuff in there that's really good. Uh, but Year One's really good. And we'll get to talk about some of these more in depth at some point. Um, so, uh, but anyway, I think if you if you haven't seen any of the animated films and are interested, I would start off with under the red hood, dark Knight returns part one, dark Knight returns part two, understanding that when they release these animated films, they're not necessarily a chronology going on except from flashpoint paradox to apocalypse war, but you don't need to watch all the movies to understand the through line. And you don't even need to understand the through line because it's often paper thin. So uh, those would be the ones that I would say you, you should really check those out. Uh, Death of Superman is really good too. Um, so anyway, there's there's plenty of good stuff, uh, but I think this would be a primitive starting point if you want to get into DC animated films, Under the Red Hood, Dark Knight Returns, uh, and then you should just be primed to just be like, I gotta watch a bunch now. I gotta do it if this is how good these could be, and then eventually right. get to Apocalypse War, and Apocalypse War is incredible. Yeah, it's great films. Uh, yeah, and if like you're really into this and you're like really liking the films, I mean, go all the way back to you know 1992 and watch the Batman the Animated Series. Oh yeah, do sure. yourself a favor. <laughs> That's what started all this to begin with. So. Yeah, and Batman Beyond following that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, there you go. Uh, so I don't know if we've convinced you to check out animated films or not, but uh, or to even. But anyway, uh, um, even though we've told you all the narrative points to this to this movie, um, these are still really worth checking out if you haven't seen them or if it's been a while since you've seen them. Um, so now, Joe, what we're going to do for our B-plot this week, um, we're going to make this film, The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, we're going to make it as one film, all that, you know, so we're going to make it and we're going to have our key characters um, cast in it, but we're going to cast any character that is not in the DCEU. So we already have Batman played by Ben Affleck. We already have Alfred played by Jeremy Irons. We're going to go with like the DCEU. I know the Batman is coming out with Jeffrey Wright as uh, uh, as that, but I think that's kind of alternate timeline or Earth, you know, different Earth. Um, so we're going with like the core Man of Steel Batman versus Superman, Justice League kind, the Zack Snyder stuff, um, kind of to my chagrin, but um, but I thought this would be more fun than you know recast Batman. Let's just go with existing people. And we're gonna kind of fill out the rest. So we have Batman as Affleck, Alfred as Jeremy Irons, J.K. Simmons plays Gordon for all about four seconds, um, <laughs> but it counts. <laughs> and honestly, that's a great casting. Anyway. Um, Henry Cavill playing Superman, and uh, yeah, I know you changed this one. Uh, Joker is Jared Leto, so. Um, not going to hear any fall. Actually, like we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. So, um, why don't, let, why don't we go ahead and have that conversation now then? Um, so we're going to recast, um, Carrie Kelly as Robin. We're going to cast, uh, Harvey Dent. We're going to cast Green Arrow, uh, a composer for this movie and a writer and a director. Uh, so that's what we're going to cast. So it's kind of a half fantasy casting, but we're casting in an existing universe. It'd be like if we were to cast, you know, like the Eternals a year ago or two years ago or whatever. So. Um, or if we were going to cast, you know, the, I, I don't know, something anyway, <laughs> something into a pre-existing, pre-existing universe. So, 
Uh, let's start off with uh, yeah. Let's start off with the Jokers. Um, you go ahead and make your case for for recasting the Joker because we both we both don't like Jared Leto in what we've seen. Um, I hated him in Zack Snyder's Justice League more than I hated him in Suicide Squad, which <laughs> I, was uh, pretty fervently. Yeah, I don't even know how that's possible either. But but yeah, I totally agree with you. Like we live in a society. I was like, for one thing, you had to you had to say that line. Uh, I, I was watching um, the Daily Show. They have uh, one of these reporters, um, Jordan Clefford, uh, I think is his name. Uh, Kepler, yeah, yeah, he's he's incredible. He was going around uh, New York City uh, and like going around ask, interviewing protesters that are you know a- opposing a mask mandate and all that. And and he talks to this one person that's like a founder of the Young Republicans. And he's like, you know, I've heard like the we the, uh, we live in a society line. He's like, oh, you mean like we the people? The first line is like, he said we live in a society. Yeah. <laughs> trying to say we the people. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, guy. Like, <laughs> anyway, I just had to point that out. So uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I listen to that, like I listen to the Daily Show all the time. So it was really funny. Yeah, I love I love I love that interview. I think he's really incredible. Yeah, for yeah, Jared Leto. I I, I enjoy him as an actor. I just don't think he's a good Joker. I, I don't like his interpretation of Joker. I think it's just really I, I wouldn't even say on the nose, but like probably like the worst aspects of Joker and just like amplifying him. Um, he's just super annoying yep. for no good no good reason. Um, so for me, um, I did a fan cast for Willem Dafoe. Uh, people have done fan art of Willem Dafoe being Joker. Um, I think he would fit really well within this story, especially prior characters that he has played, especially like I would, like the character he's played in Boondock Saints. Like I feel like that would really fit for this type of Joker. He's he's a little bit more, a little more effeminate. He's a little more. He's a complete opposite of what Batman is in this story, mm-hmm. um, but it works really well. But he's also completely fearsome too. Like completely, you know, strikes fear within you. Um, yeah. So I think Willem Dafoe would be really terrific uh, as a yeah, and- for Joker. And honestly, he's been like a fantasy cast on everybody's for the last 20, 30 years. Like he would, he would crush it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely not a bad pick. I'm actually going to go ahead and like counter. Um, I really think Jared Leto could pull off this role. Uh, now he needs a director that's going to rein him in and he needs to understand that this Joker is calm, cool and suave and sophisticated, not psychomaniac. Yeah. You know, not whatever the crap that was in, in Suicide Squad. Um, I I really think, um, I'm not going to, you know, I won't be mad at you for recasting him because I have similar feelings, but um, but I really think Leto is a great actor and it was really inspired casting him as the Joker. And for some reason, lots of reasons, it just didn't work. But I th- I'm going to go ahead and just say, you know, I think him being in this world could be incredible. Yeah, he would so. just need somebody, to, like you said, to completely rein him in, like... Like you said, he should be like suave, cool, collected. He's you know he's got a plan. And also, though- and also like you know, I know that David Ayer has been pretty vocal about how Suicide Squad is not his movie and all that. And you know, I I think he just needs to shut up because I think he's just trying to justify making a bad movie. And I I definitely agree. Oh, wait, hold on, let me let me rephrase that. I do believe that David Ayer made a completely different version than Suicide Squad. And the WB pressured him into releasing that. I just don't think that that movie was better. I think, given what we got, I'm pretty sure the air cut would also be kind of sucky. Same with like Zack Snyder's Justice League. Just because an alternate cut exists doesn't make it better. Um, I think it would be slightly better than it, it'd be the same case for Justice League. I think it's I think it's better. Yes. Than, definitely better than the original, but I don't think it's like marginally better. Where it's like it required millions of dollars to place into this film. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so anyway, I, I just think, you know, you get 
you get Jared Leto a little bit more on board. You kind of walk him through and you get a director that can really rein him in and a screenplay that kind of complements that. I think he could really pull this off. I think that would be uh, still a good cast. Um, but Willem Dafoe as well, um, for sure. Especially, you know, we got to go for an older. So uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Um, let's go ahead and we'll do our... Um, We'll do our characters, I think. No, we'll, we'll do a back and forth. We did that last week. That was kind of fun. Um, so we'll each give our Robins. You've already given your your Joker, so I'll start. Uh, for my Robin, uh, Carrie Kelly, I'm going with Amelia Jones. Um, I have a feeling both of our Robins are going to be names that people just don't know. But uh, Amelia Jones was the star of Coda that came out on Apple TV Plus this month, uh, or I guess last month, technically, August. Um, which is my favorite film of 2021 so far. It's really incredible. And she kind of displays a little bit of that like angst that you want her to play. Plus Carrie Kelly's she's a little older than Carrie Kelly is supposed to be in the comics, but I think as long as you still get a young person, you get the point across. So uh, I'm picking Amelia Jones, the lead actress from CODA. Cool. Uh, Yeah. For my Robin pick, I picked uh, Kiernan Shipka. Um, I really love her in the Black Oak Zelda. I think it's like the first movie I ever saw her in. Uh, I mean, she's also in Mad Men, right? Um, I haven't seen, seen Mad Men. I've never seen Mad Men. Um, I, I, I don't know who your who this actress is. I, I liked her in Sabrina. I I like her as Sabrina. I just don't like the story that oh, she's in. Oh, got it, got it. Uh, I, I think she's really endearing. I think she can play somebody who's like a little bit more feisty. Uh, so I think she would be a good pick for Carrie Kelly. I think she has a look too. It really works. Yeah, it looks like she did play in Mad Men. Um, I don't know how long. Uh, Legend of Korra got some voice work in there. That's definitely not a not a bad thing. Um, yeah, that always helps too, because like not all not all great actors are great voice actors. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. But, right, uh, exactly. Oh, and she plays one of the other girls from the bunker in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So, uh, and I love that show. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Um, yeah. So, I, it, you know, you're casting somebody like this. They're probably going to be relatively unknowns, and I think we always should have a little bit of unknown. Okay. Uh, for my Harvey Dent, this is going to be. Um, all right, so I originally wanted to cast Anthony Ramos uh, from In the Heights and Hamilton, uh, but he's still too young, and like I'm okay with like changing characters' ages, but like because of um, uh, because of like the way that Dent's story has to progress, we have to believe that he has been Harvey Dent for at least several years and then has been re- rehabilitated. We can even speed it up rather quickly. Um, so I think my my pick might still be a little too young. Uh, but I'm just going to flub it a little bit. I'm going to say Michael B. Jordan, I think, uh, uh, would be somebody that can carry the depth because the way that Harvey Dent is portrayed in this film or in this, yeah, this film is, uh, somebody who is being told that he's rehabilitated, but sees the complete opposite and chooses to believe and buy into the complete opposite. And it's really tragic and heartbreaking. And, uh, and I, I, I think Michael B. Jordan could, could play that just incredibly well. That's awesome. I love him as an actor, so I like that. But. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> All right, and you're Harvey Dent. Uh, for my Dent, uh, I went with um, Ed Harris. Um, I just love Ed Harris's work. Uh, I, I've seen him play, like, really lovable characters. I've seen him play extremely menacing characters. And we kind of touched upon him in uh, History of Violence, and he is uh, completely on that spectrum of the uh, – he's kind of a horrifying, kind of, like, despicable character. So I definitely think he could play those polar opposites really well. For sure. So that's my uh, that's my Harvey Dent. I think it's an incredible pick. I love that. Uh, and then the only other person we're casting is uh, at least 
actor we're casting is somebody who played Green Arrow. I don't think that the mutants were necessarily like important enough, and especially the lead mutant would probably be CGI anyway, kind of like they did King Shark in the Suicide Squad or Killer yeah. Croc. So like, you don't necessarily need to rely on getting uh, getting anybody notably, um, you know. Um, so uh, so we'll cast Green Arrow as well. Um, I went with uh, with Jimmy Smits. Uh, this is uh, he plays Amy's dad in Brooklyn Nine Nine. He plays um, the guy that marries um, Jax's dad in Sons of Anarchy. Uh, he plays um, the the senator or uh, Bail Organa uh, in Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One. Um, I love Jimmy Smits. I think he's uh, one of the best yeah, working too. actors that doesn't get enough credit. And um, and I, I I just think that like he he can play cool and sophisticated and suave like oliver queen like like a believable like could have been that when oliver queen was in his heyday but also like play this rough gruff angry you know wanting to get back at superman and the government like i think he could he could play it terrifically uh so i picked jimmy smith's no i think it's a great pick yeah it, it wasn't even something i would like like would think of or come to mind but like it's perfect like you said he's super underrated he's he's been in so many movies throughout the years uh, yeah he's awesome well, and I honestly came across this pick because I was looking at Anthony Ramos just to kind of get an idea of how old he was. And then I saw the In the Heights cast. And I remembered he was in that. And yeah. I was like, oh, that would be terrific for Green Arrow. And so it was kind of an accident I came up with that. But I'm really proud of that pick. Yeah, I loved him in In the Heights. I thought he was really good. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, for my Green Arrow, my pick will make more sense once I reveal who my writer and director are. But um, I'm going with Josh Hartnett. Um, I think. He doesn't get enough work nowadays. Uh, I know mm-hmm. he, he kind of dealt more with television, um, but I've always thought he's like pretty underrated. And any movie he's actually been in, he's always been pretty solid in it. It's just like the quality of the projects projects kind of vary. Um, yeah, yeah. Even his small piece in like uh, Sin City that was a screen test, and if that screen yeah. test wouldn't have went well, you know, we wouldn't have got Sin City. And I thought he was really phenomenal on that little you know snippet. So, well, if you look at Pearl Harbor, and nobody's acting good in that movie, but. He's, he's, he's trying. He's, he's, <laughs> right. right. He's, he was trying. And, and you look at, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I think like Lucky Number Slevin is his best movie uh, and his best performance. So I really yeah, like he, him in The Faculty. Like, he's good at playing yeah, that kind yeah. of suave, kind of smart ass guy. Like, I was like, oh, it's perfect. Like, yeah, he's, he's the kind of lovable drug dealer. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a lovable jerk, drug dealer dude. He's good at doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, man, great callback. <laughs> um, Cool. Uh, so that's our, our people that were rounding out the cast uh, in the DCEU. Um, and then for composer, um, I tried to go with somebody that hasn't done a DCEU project yet. I actually went with somebody that hasn't done a comic book property yet, at least not a like mainstream one. I don't think he's done any at all. I went with Justin Hurwitz. Um, he has done the score for most of Damien Chazelle stuff. Um, so uh, and, and what I thought of specifically when I wanted this was the first man score. Um, I wanted him to reflect, um, uh, I wanted him to f- reflect kind of that mysterious ambiance, um, unsettling score that he has in first man. Um, but that's also like delightful. Like, it's beautifully haunting is how, it's how I would describe the first man score. Um, but he also like, we know he can do like he did La La Land and Whiplash. He didn't write the music for them, but he did compose it, um, and uh guy in Madeline on a park bench as well. Um, 
So I think, yeah, up, up at this point, he's worked exclusively with Chazelle, with uh, Guy Madeline, Whiplash, La La Land, First Man, and the upcoming Babylon. But uh, I think specifically, like, that First Man score, going for, like, a hauntingly beautiful, I think would fit perfectly with uh, The Dark Knight Returns. No, I, need, I, need, I actually have the Blu-ray. Uh, I need to need to watch it. And I actually have it on Voodoo as well, so I'll put that There's... on the there's lots of really good things about that movie, and honestly, the score is the best of it. Gosling's performance is terrific. The direction is really great, uh, but the score is the standout. Awesome. Yeah. 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 For, you? for for composer, my my uh, unfortunately my my first go to was going to be Johan Johansson, but he's no longer with us. But if I, mm. if I if I had my way, Johan Johansson would do the score. I think he's phenomenal at building tension, and he can tackle any type of score. Um, especially what he's done with Mandy and done with uh, Sicario and other films. Uh, his yeah, scores rival. are just phenomenal. Um, but uh, I actually fell on uh, Junkie XL because uh, I think he could really tackle this extremely well. Um, all his prior scores are very on par with what I think this score would be and kind of what the score of the animated uh, film was. It's very synth-based, but little it's sort of like classical tones to it. So I think Junkie XL would be a good fit yeah. uh, for composing this. Yeah, and I, I think that as much as I really don't like Batman versus Superman or either version of the Justice League, I guess either version of Batman versus Superman or either version of Justice League. The score is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like the score. And and Elfman did the theatrical Justice yeah. League, but uh, but yeah, I, he's the scores are he he, he does well. Um, yeah, I don't know that it's like a style that I want more of. Like I don't want this emergence of like EDM composers in big blockbuster blockbuster films. Like I, I don't know that I want that. Yeah, I think it, I think it works in some films. Like definitely his Mad Max score is like fantastic. Like it totally like. You know, be killer is is if you combine Junkie XL with Tom Morello, kind of like um, Ramin Jawadi from uh, Pacific Rim com- combined with uh, with Tom Morello to uh, produce cool. that epic score. I think that'd be dope. Uh, so then, um, so we have writer and director. Um, all right, I'm gonna give who I initially picked to direct this movie, and I thought it would be terrific. Uh, but it's not going to actually be my pick because I have a writer-director co- director combo. Um, so I'll give that a second. I, I initially put Lisa Joy here um, because she is a co-creator of Westworld, which is one of the best shows on TV right now. And she is certainly a part of that. And she recently did Reminiscence, which regardless on how anybody feels about that movie, I don't think anybody disagrees that this is a visually stunning movie and truly remarkably shot the problem comes with the story and a little bit of convolutedness there and a little bit of this shouldn't have gone that way and you chose to go this way and nobody likes that and anyway so like her as a director is incredible in that movie and so i thought i'll put her as a director that's because reminiscence is kind of this old washed up dirty gross new orleans and miami and i want old dirty washed up gross gritty um Dark Knight, so or Gotham, so um, so that's who I didn't go with. My actual pick, um, I, I I wanted to go with that, but my actual pick was if he's writing, he's also directing. I'm going with Sam Levinson of uh, Malcolm and Marie and Euphoria, notably. Um, I think he could crush a Batman film out of the park. I think he could do just wonders uh, in terms of storytelling because the characters in Euphoria and the depth they have and the like. A lot of Batman's foes kind of fighting mental illness, specifically Harvey Dent in this storyline. I think Sam Levinson has demonstrated he can write the crap out of stuff like that in Euphoria and Malcolm and Marie. And, um, you know, I, I think the only thing that could be questionable would be, you know, can he shoot action sequences? But as long as you got a good choreography, choreographer, that's more important than a good director. So maybe, right. maybe have, you know, 
somebody, you know, stunt choreographer from, I don't know, like the Raid movies on or something. Yeah, yeah. that totally makes sense. So, yeah. Uh, and you, your uh, writer and director. Uh, yeah, for writer, uh, I went pretty obvious with this. Um, you're going to kind of see, like, some trend here. Um, I went with Frank Miller. Um, just let him write it. Use the basis of the comic book, just like he did with Sin City. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that works incredibly well for adaptation. You've shown that that will really work superb in the first Sin City movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then for, for director, I did a combo. Just do Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller. They could just co-direct with each other. Yeah. Um, basically, just use the uh, just use the panels from the comic as like their screenplay. Um, and also, like I, Robert Rodriguez, I loved his his Alita adaptation. I loved the way mm-hmm. he directed that, and I mm-hmm. think he's really good at adapting material and like st- like adhering to it, not to a fault, but adhering to it. And, like he cares, you know. Maybe he actually like cares about the source material and bringing it to life. So I I think they would do an excellent job. Um, and, and from what I heard from Robert Rodriguez, he works really well with actors, and I think he could bring the most out of this cast. And it makes more sense. There's a connection between him and Josh Hartnett. Um, so connection between him and Frank Miller with Sin City. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's yeah. That's a great pick. Um, Plus, you know, they could do dark, kind of like dreary, kind of like really messed up type of worlds. Like they're good at that. <laughs> yeah. I'd, look, I think Robert Rodriguez is one of those guys that because he makes grindhouse films for fun, like that's the films yeah. he really loves making. Like if people just kind of dismiss him, but like I think he's really great. And like especially you look at you know Alita is a good example. Um, uh, feels feels like a manga um, because it is. Um, or you take uh, uh, um, oh gosh, what's the other one of the other reasons? Anyway, uh, I think he's really really solid. But like you take like he did uh, one of the episodes of The Mandalorian last year, the one where where Boba Fett's revealed and. Yeah. Um, and they're they're fighting to to defend the child at the the old Jedi temple and like gosh like that's one of the best episodes um, and you can you can tell the behind the scenes he's having a lot of fun directing it so yeah I'm totally for giving him like a like a, especially DCEU I don't know about MCU because he's a little dark for that but for sure DCEU I think he could be a great fit yeah like uh, yeah it looked like he had a lot of fun it was funny when I watched the episode I didn't know he directed it I was like. There's a lot of these shots. They feel very Desperado like. They feel very <laughs> Robert Rodriguez like. And then like to see that in the credits. And like I well, said, it look, it looked like he's having a lot of fun. I, I love when he's playing guitar. They have like the animatronic, uh, you know, Grogu kind of bobbing yeah. his head. Like that's so cute. Well, and just like imagine John Favreau coming up to him and being being like, "All right, so I got this idea for a Star Wars story. Here's what's going on. You know, you've already seen season one. So the child is at a Jedi temple, but he's passed out, and Boba Fett comes." with the Fennec and team up with Mando to defend him for a half an hour. You think you want to direct that? It's like, yeah, buddy, let's of go. Of course. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, it's a defense. It's a 30 minute, you know, one, one very simple concept. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So, um, there we go. There's our fantasy casts for our version of the dark Knight returns in the existing DC extended universe uh which means we just have to do the spin-off so quick recommend or warn from each one of us joe uh why don't you kick us off uh yeah as far as uh, docs are concerned um i just recently wrapped up all of hip-hop evolution on netflix um also the last blockbuster that's on netflix terrific mm-hmm. uh, uh terrific docs there and then um all i have i've been watching a lot of anime um as you know if you've watched a couple episodes uh gto which is a classic anime um Tokyo Revengers, which is relatively new, and uh, Rage of Bottomot, that is actually within the past like, 10 years. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are those are my uh, recommendations. Cool. I'm going to talk about, uh, I watched a lot this week, actually. Um, I'm going to choose to only talk about one in depth, but I watched uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, 
and we'll talk about that more in December when we talk about all of MCU Phase Four so far. Um, and I really liked Shang Chi, so we'll talk about uh, talk about that. Um, I watched Cruella because it's now free on Disney Plus, and I think Cruella's really excellent and worth all the hype that it's getting. And if you are one of those people that's like, I'll wait until it's free on Disney Plus. It is now. You should go watch it. Um, and I watched Eyes Wide Shut for a podcast with Shane for the first time. And uh, Eyes Wide Shut is a pretty excellent movie. I'm not the first person to say that. Um, and then uh, the one that I'll talk a little bit in depth about is, uh, oh, uh, sorry, uh, One Warn is uh, I revisited Stay Alive, that 2005, if you die in the game, you die for real movie. Oh, God. Because I had a lot of nostalgia for that one because I watched that a ton as a kid um because i was in love with the concept and um here i will defend um i've only ever seen the unrated cut and from my understanding is the theatrical cut is significantly worse um but the unrated cut is still not very good so i am warning it um but i think there's a really cool concept in here that would be a fun like remake um awesome concept it's like the worst execution possible yeah for sure uh so I want to I'm going to talk about the one I'm actually going to talk about that I'm recommending is JFK. I finally got around to watching this three hour movie. Um, this is uh, about the investigation into the JFK assassination by the Attorney General um, of New Orleans afterwards, and uh, it's it, it's definitely kind of a conspiracy theory piece. And there's they're definitely trying to push the narrative that JFK wasn't assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald, but that it was. Well, I guess I'll let you figure it out for yourself when you watch this three-hour movie. Uh, but it is gripping. It is tense. It is a three-hour movie that feels like a firm, crisp 215. Um, it's captivating. It kind of makes some sense in the direction it takes. Um, I was pretty convinced because I did a research project on it. I was pretty convinced that the Warren Commission got it right and that Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK, even though there was some anomalies. But gosh, I... Uh, I need to rethink my stance and I don't know how important it is that I believe one way or the other, but this is, this is truly a remarkable film with remarkable performance performances and no surprise, John Williams giving a remarkable score. So um, really love JFK. Thought that was a great movie. Awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I should uh, I'll put it on the list. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, you got to have three hours, but uh, yeah. it is worth your three hours for sure well that's a wrap a uh, quick reminder that Sip Pop Rise Room is part of the Studio DNA Network you can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your, DNA in your podcast player you can also uh, message me at writersroom@sippop.com if you want to give some feedback on the show say hey maybe this doesn't work maybe you know try not sucking next time um, <laughs> or by choosing to send us something that we can explore during the B plot that'd be really fun or uh, if you're interested in writing for sippop.com uh, you can also get in contact with me on Twitter or Letterboxd at Schweitcastle. And uh, uh, please, uh, if you have, or if you are listening somewhere that allows you to leave reviews, we would really appreciate that. Uh, Joe, that's ways uh, that people connect with me in the show. Uh, where can you? Where do you want to send people to uh, to check out you and all that's going on in your life right now? Yeah, my social media platform of choice is on, on Instagram, uh, the Star Spangled Avenger, with underscores between each one of those uh, each one of those uh, words. And uh, yeah, we can talk anything between yeah words. Uh, you can talk anything about comic books, anime, um, anything. I've I have a lot of interests. Um, so yeah, feel free to hit me up. 
Yeah, and you can see Joe's announcement of his new child. So, which is for sure worth checking out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Hey, uh, really appreciate you taking out the time uh, to do this. Uh, next month, we are doing something. I'm sure of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, I've got uh, Kristen coming on to talk about TV catch up with me. Um, so come back next week for that. Next month, Joe, we are talking about, oh, oh, uh, the four Superman movies and Superman Returns. So the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movies and the uh, Brandon Routh one. So, oh, cool. uh, and we'll have Scout joining us as well. Um, Sounds good. So we'll we'll be doing that in a month. Means I got to start watching these movies. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, so so we'll see you back here in a month. Uh, thanks so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to next time. Yeah, likewise. See you. Cool. We'll see you back then. Bye.